straight out of Austin, Texas. It's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, Statesman Sports Columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 322, brought to you by Bud Light and hook'em.com. Sed Golden here with the Duck Kirk Bowles. And damn it, football season is over for college football fans. And the Texas Longhorn season ended one game too soon. Great season by Sark and company, 12-2. and So we had to bring in our resident Texas expert, Rod Babers, Longhorn legend, former All-American, he is the the talent behind Hook 'em Up with Rod Babers and E Hogan, 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 10.9, uh, 1260 a.m. Or you can stream it on the Horn app. Rod B, what's shaking? Hey, what's up, fellas? I appreciate y'all having me on, man. I'm sorry for my technical difficulties here that I don't have the video to accompany uh, the audio here. So I'm old school, man. I'm old school. You know, hey, I'm, I'm cool with doing it old school. I mean, I write, I got papers <laughs> all around me. I've been writing stuff down. I'm cool with going old school for now. Well, you you should apologize to the audience because they're stuck looking at me and said for 30 <laughs> or 40 minutes. So, but There's a reason we, we don't do a lot of video, Ron. We, <laughs> we, we have the faces only a veterinarian could love so yeah. we will make do we will ride out the storm so so rod b let's just cut to the chase what happened in the sugar bowl what went wrong for the texas longhorns uh yeah i mean i mean they were in it to the end right i, I thought it would come down to the last drive i just thought texas would be on the winning side of that last drive um i think texas is ahead of schedule there's no doubt right we all had them I don't know about you, but I had them in the big. I had them winning the Big Twelve title game, and I did not have them going to the college football playoff. Um, but winning the Big Twelve title game in the manner in which they did, they dominated Oklahoma State and solidified themselves a spot in the college football playoff, and they earned that spot, by the way. But in my theory that they're ahead of schedule, guys, there were certain holes on the roster, right? There are certain holes that exist on this roster still that are going to keep them from winning, being the best team in the country and winning it all. And those those holes were exposed versus Washington. Now, I will say this, it's not necessarily Sark's fault or his staff's fault. They haven't had enough talent acquisition cycles to fill in all of the, the different holes that they had talent-wise on the roster and address all the different positions. I think one of the last positions they were going to address and like I said, they were ahead of schedule this season. And you look at the last recruiting class is the DBs. Mm-hmm. There are five DBs in this recruiting class. Six, if you include the transfer portal in Makuba, they know their past defense <laughs> needs to be addressed. Uh, this is one of the last uh, areas of roster construction that Sark was getting to. They thought they could afford to wait on the DBs. And you know what? I still think they, they brought in Malik Muhammad. They got Derek Williams. They started, but they haven't overhauled it just yet. And, and that being one of your weakest areas because uh, you were exposed there during the, the Washington game, I think it just showed that when you're at the elite levels of football, not Big 12 title, I'm talking about competing for the national title, any of the talent deficits, roster deficits, holes that you have on your roster could potentially be exposed. 
against high-end talent and high-end coaching. And you saw that, right? Where else did Texas um, lack high-end talent? And where yeah. else would, did they have lack of a presence in the Washington game? Pass rush. There you they go. Had, you know, they, had, they, they created pressure, but Penix, he – it was just magnificent, by the way. But he uh, that's his X-Men ability. But he avoided that pressure and made throws down the field. It, you could argue if they had that pressure from high-end pass rushers, if they had better coverage like Michigan did, then they would have given Washington more problems. They end up winning that game. So I think that's a big part of it. Listen, Michigan took years, right? That's the ninth year of Jim Harbaugh building that thing. So they don't have many holes on that roster. Same thing with Georgia, right? Georgia, they took them a few years before Kirby Swan was able to get over the top. They didn't have any holes in that roster. took them years to address that. So that's what's going on. But in the game, I will say this. I thought Sark's game plan – was initially a good game plan. People thought maybe he was throwing too much to start the game. If you go look at all of the prep for the game, Washington's defense was at their worst on first down, especially in pass defense. And it was one of Texas' strengths on pass defense in terms of their passing game, throwing on early downs. So that's why they were throwing on early downs with the RPO game. You got to give Washington a lot of credit. They got their hands on footballs early, put Texas in a third, in second and long, third and long, and forced them into – predictable passing situations where they could throw exotic looks at Quinn Ewers and kind of take over and, 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 th- and drop numbers back in the passing game. And they did, they did a really good job of that. So now you could, you could run the football. Sark found that out, but mm-hmm. he, he adjusted to it too late guys. It's like Texas was averaging almost eight yards per rush, handing off to the running backs in the first half. And yet Sark was throwing the football on early downs instead of running the football. And you could have probably controlled the game, kept your defense off the field. So I just think Sark adjusted late. They still had a chance, but Washington was a better team. Let me ask you, Rod, um, and uh, we love what Sark did this year, but I think there's a propensity, a tendency for him to try, over try to get the quarterback off early. He did it when when uh, Malik came in, when Quinn was hurt. He came, he came in and threw four or five times with Malik. And Malik just wasn't ready just for that yet. Uh, why is it so hard for him to just hand the ball off and let <laughs> Quinn settle in? Because, I mean, we're watching C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue get these chunk yards, and then Quinn throws it into the ground. I mean, that that had to be frustrating for Longhorn Nation. No, you're right, man. After the first quarter, I think you're averaging more yards per rush than yards per attempt. And we've had this discussion about Sark actually prior to the Sugar Bowl. Like, why doesn't Sark just want to hand it off? He always has to be forced to do it, even when Bijan and Rojo were here. And I just think my, my explanation is it's in his nature. Right. It's the scorpion and the frog, the old fable about the scorpion and the frog. Right. It's it's in his nature. He's he's the scorpion. Right. It, it, he's going to do it regardless. He's going to throw an early down. He's going to throw to open up the run. Um, and he wants to close the game out with the run game, almost like he did in the Bama game. Right. Mm-hmm. Pass early on, pass to open up the run and close out a team with the running game. But that doesn't always work out. And some you got to be ready to pivot. And Mike, so I'm not I'm not mad about his nature. I understand that's who he is as a play caller. It's part of his DNA. He wants to throw. He's a quarterback, guys. He's a quarterback. He yeah, wants to throw. He's, he's, he's admitted that he doesn't, he wants getting the crowd on their feet and getting the crowd excited about his offense actually means something to him as a play caller. Right. He's admitted that he likes exciting trick plays 
because the players like him and they get excited about him. So what he's admitting is that as a play caller, he feeds off emotion a little bit. Mm -hmm. He feeds off of it. And I think he likes the exhilaration of the big play and the 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 deep shot, the 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 big play via the passing game. So I'm not mad about that, right? That makes him a really good play caller. Um, and I think it actually adds to his ability to, to attract quarterbacks and to attract really good wide receivers because he thinks pass first. Yeah, but absolutely. in a football game that's a chess match, guys, you've got to be ready to pivot. And when Washington was giving you the run, because they were giving Great. you the run, that's why Great. the RPOs, Texas was throwing the football in the RPOs because they had the advantage in the run game. They had the numbers van, so they were just handing off the, uh, uh, handing off the football. And when they handed off the football, they ran it. They ran it successfully. And when Texas decided they were going to throw it and they had penalties and they had, uh, you know, uh, the, def the deflected passes, it, it got them in third and long situations. Now, after the first quarter, that we, we knew that was happening, but you could run the football. Sark should have pivoted right then and there to becoming run heavy, and he didn't. He waited to the third quarter, and then when he waited to the third quarter, they only had five plays, and one of them was a fumble. And so he waited too late. It wasn't his fault. Yeah. Right. He waited too late to make the adjustment. He should have made that adjustment after the first quarter. And I think Texas would have been a better position because you could have limited the possessions of Washington. And he just waited a little bit late. But that's because yeah. he's also a work in progress. And I love the coach that Sark has become. Yeah, and you mentioned the play calling. And that brings up the question of red zone offense, which is mm. probably their biggest liability after pass defense this year is – he just such a different play caller in the open field, twenty between the twenties, whereas inside the twenty or the ten, he's a kind of a different cat. Because how would you assess those last four plays of the game, Rod? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a oh, great point dump off, because Charlie, oh, the dump off. Those yeah, are not. Right. <laughs> I woke up the other night. Oh, dump off, damn. Dump off. <laughs> No, and then no, throw it that, out of the end zone. <laughs> that that dump off that they did was was interesting, right? Because Sark admitted that the dump off came because they had plays designed for JT Sanders and for what AD Mitchell and the defense took them away in the red zone. So he just dumped it off really quickly. Um, and hmm. that I think that that shows you that Sark he was out of ideas, he was out of solutions to fix the red zone issues throughout the season. Their best yeah. red zone performance came in the Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game. Mike Gundy remarked after the game that Texas looked better in real time on the field than they did on film. And I'm thinking to myself, why would he say that? Texas looks pretty yeah. damn good on film. I watch them all the time. I right. think what he was talking about, guys, was the red zone. Think about it. Texas. Texas was miserable in the red zone all year long, hovering around 120th in touchdown percentage in the red zone, one of the worst red zone offenses in the country. And yet they were still, uh, you know, and one of the better offenses in the country, even though in that pivotal area, they were lackluster. And I'm sure Sark tried everything to try to fix it. Even in the Tech game where Texas scored in all three phases and they had probably the one of the best overall well-rounded performances they've had all season, they were still bad in the red zone in that game. They had penalties in the red zone. They, uh, you know, they had fumbles in the red zone. They just they they they. It's one of their their traits as a team, and unfortunately, one of their flaws. But in the Oklahoma State game, they were really good. They were five of five scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And I think what Stark decided to do was think players, not plays, in the red zone. He's a play guy. Most yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. So it's kind of he had that Tavondre Sweat thing. Uh, Ad Mitchell was became his kind of key uh, threat in the red zone. Even going back to the Washington game, right when they were struggling in the red zone. Hey, you know what? Let's just get into Ad Mitchell. If he's got a one on one, let's throw it up to him. Uh, and yeah. they did, even with a low percentage throw like a fade route. So I think Sark was so frustrated with their red zone offense, him not being able to solve that problem, that he decided, you know what, I'm going to go with players in the red zone. I'm thinking about players in the red zone. And that's why, going back to the dump off, he was thinking about JT Sanders. I'm going JT. I'm going yeah. JT. And I think he started going that route, in, honestly, probably about midseason when he recognized why are we so bad in the red zone when we have so many weapons? We have the uh, the biggest and best offensive line in the Big 12. We have Quinn Ewers, an NFL quarterback. Why? It's one of the biggest mysteries of the season. I still can't figure it out either. Um, mm. I think it's more about Quinn. That's a combination. It's the offensive line, the interior of the offensive line, right? So that's your part of your power running game. And that was the weakest part of your O-line. And mm-hmm. I think also it's Quinn because you're a passing game. One of the big issues for Quinn is he's a he's a first read wide window thrower, right? He, he's good when he's going to the first read. He's accurate, ball placement, touch, everything. But when he's got to go deeper into his progressions, he gets a little erratic. The mechanics mm-hmm. get a little off. His footwork gets a little off. And right. that's why he's coming back to work on that. That's what the scouts want, want to see. But in the red zone, all of that happens faster. The progression's got to happen twice as fast in the red zone yeah. because everything's so constricted. So I think for Quinn, he struggles in the red zone because your first reads are taken away a lot of the time in the red zone. Unless you're throwing a fade yeah. or you're throwing that uh, RPO thing like down there. That first read's taken away because it's just the windows are so small. And that's oh, where yeah. Quinn made struggle a little bit. So I think it was, it was a combination of things and Sark couldn't figure it out. But I do think. Uh, ultimately, it's one of the issues that Sark will examine in the offseason, and he'll have some answers. But you're right; it, it came back to haunt him, and it's arguably the reason that they weren't they they they, they went with the one loss because of Oklahoma. The red zone came back to haunt him, and right. just just in this game in the Sugar Bowl, if you score touchdowns in the red zone instead of the field goal, you you you're right now play you played for a national title. I don't know if you win it, but you played for one. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you got you had the weapons. I mean. I can't believe JT Sanders wasn't killing it with 12 touchdowns in their red zone. You know, like Georgia does with Brock Bowers. They always find him and he can he can get yeah. into the end zone. So yeah, he does need to figure that out now without four of his best wide receivers. And yeah, why do you think Quinn hadn't announced that he's coming back yet when the whole world thinks he's coming back? I have no idea. I've been asking about that too. Now maybe he's just an unassuming guy and he's really humble. It could be that. Uh, maybe the the digital package had to be changed yeah. when they didn't make it to the national title. I have no idea. I am with you. I don't get. I, maybe the, the maybe he's is, hey, too I, busy. Maybe he's too busy doing the four 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 commercials. Hey, it could be. You know, but you would think that one of his nil like you know uh, opportunities and one of those uh, companies would fund the, the you know the announcement that he's coming back right we want to fund the yeah. really cool sentimental video i i'm with you i don't know why it hasn't happened but maybe it just maybe yeah. it won't happen i mean maybe it won't everybody thinks it i heard i've been told that he made the decision before the sugar bowl to come back so i don't yeah. know and i would think sark would say Hey, the sooner you announce, the sooner we might get a transfer portal guy. You know, it that's has true. effect. It builds on it. Think about that. That's a good point, though. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I got to ask you this, and because I, I watched them, you know, my watching Michigan and Washington, watching Blake Corum and 
Edwards run wild. Untouched. Untouched. <laughs> yeah. Did 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 it did it across your mind? And watching Michael Pennis get beat up, I mean that that had a lot to do with that win. But oh yeah, did did you cross your mind that Texas might would have beat Michigan? Because my thing, we 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 talked about this on this podcast. Texas drew a tough matchup, and I I would have picked Texas to beat Michigan, even though Michigan's got a great defense. But Washington was clearly going to be a tough matchup for the secondary. How do you think Texas would have matched up against the Wolverines, Rod? That's a great question, honestly. And and I, I talked about this, too, with a friend of mine. Late in the season, in that Washington game, man, you missed Jonathan Brooks. You didn't miss him as much, you know, in the Tech game, Iowa State game, Oklahoma State game, C.J. Baxter, Jaden Blue. They performed, you know, really well. Um, and I, obviously the competition is very different. But, man, think about how much you missed him in the Washington game. Fumbles by young running backs. Uh-huh. Um I think Sark would have had more trust in the running game early on. Hell, maybe in the game plan overall would have been a little bit different if you have a Jay Brooks in there compared to, you know, the the young running backs he has in there because he I think he was going with getting Quinn in the groove early. Um, so I yeah, and I think in in that Michigan game, if you would have played Michigan, you would have missed him even more. You would have missed his dynamic ability to avoid tackles at the second level, his patience as a runner. I mean, guys, that dude ended up being the lifeblood of the offense. He was a savior. He was a savior. Yeah, for a lot of the season. Exactly. So, I, and he, by the way, he's a breakaway threat. He would break some long runs. Some of those, he you is. know, I think, yeah, his patience as a runner, he sets guys up on the second level really well, has great vision. I just think you missed him. I think you would have missed him versus Michigan. Um, there's nothing wrong with Jaden Blue, nothing wrong with. Um, you know, C.J. Baxter, but C.J. Baxter is young, doesn't have his armor yet. Uh, Jaden Blue, this season, more boutique instead of a workhorse, main course, every down back. I think he's got that in him, uh, but that wasn't the case this season. Um, but Jonathan Brooks proved to be that guy. So I think you'd have missed him. That'd be the reason, honestly, that you wouldn't have made a move the ball. You'd have become one-dimensional. And if you were one-dimensional against him just throwing the football, man, Michigan will eat you alive, which they did against Washington. Um, so yeah, I think I think Texas loses that game because of the whole uh ultimately that that would exist on offense and also on defense. You know, I know they 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 match up really well because they can stop the run and Texas didn't have to worry about their pass defense being exposed. I'll throw that out there too. Um, but I, I do think Texas offense, I'm worried about how they would have moved the football consistently versus Michigan. That's yeah, I mean Michigan was the most complete team. They yeah. obviously that defense. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you see the wide receiver room with the top four guys going pro? You got Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore, two young ones. You got Matt Golden coming in, a recruit, Ryan Wingo. What? How do you see the wide receiver room next year, Rod? Yeah, I wonder, you know, I don't know if I can remember a time where Texas lost more in the passing game overall. If you consider JT Sanders kind of a part of the passing game uh, Mm because he's tight end, but, yeah, I mean, they use him like a wide receiver and moving him around a lot. The loss of X-Man, A.D. Mitchell, obviously Jay Witt and what he means just as the (laughs) kind of the emotional support uh, player for the the overall offense. I mean, he's just – he was the kind of embodied the culture, a culture bearer. And then you start talking about the losses in the transfer report. You got two guys there, Casey Kane, who was in the circle of trust, but no longer. And then a guy like Isaiah Nayor with a lot of upside and potential, but had the injury. 
Um, don't, forget X. Of, don't forget X. The X Factor. Yeah, you losing X Men too. Uh, who's your? That was your wide receiver one, right? That's your top guy. Yeah. I don't remember Texas losing eighty percent. And Jay Brooks, by the way, Sark loves running backs in the passing yeah. game. We just mm -hmm. talked about him. Uh, he says that the most underrated part of uh, the passing game is running backs as a weapon. I I I don't remember a time where Texas lost this much in the passing game. Eighty percent of it, basically gone. And you wonder if that could have an effect on Quinn's decision. All, all these guys leaving, but oh, fam, uh, he's coming back. Well, what? Yeah, he's coming back. I know we know he's coming back. But and here's the other thing: Why didn't Aor and Kane leave when they thought, man, I'm my. It's opening up for me now. Did they just That's think Clark didn't trust them? Yeah. Well, yep. are at the beginning of the year, after he got a couple of DNPs slash CDs, he put he tweeted out, "Okay, cool. You know, mm -hmm. wow. this is how it's gonna be." And yeah, wasn't heard from again. Is that after the Wyoming game for Isaiah New York? I think it was, wasn't it? Well, I want to say did he not play against. Did he not play against Wyoming? I want to say we all thought that was going to be like a package play just for Isaiah Nayor. I'm not, I'm, I, he might have played, but it wasn't, I don't know if he got yeah. a target or anything like that. But that was a way closer game than anybody thought it would be for three quarters. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't know why those guys left. That's a great question. They, they felt, they felt the, the cold, right? They felt how frigid it was to be outside the circle of trust of certain mm -hmm. wide receivers. Because he has yeah. like three or four wide receivers, and, and those are the guys he trusts. And if you can't crack that circle of trust, you ain't getting no targets, and you probably don't get no love. I'm assuming even in practice, you probably ain't getting you ain't getting as much love either, because you definitely don't get it in the games. Hell, Jay Witt was in the circle of trust and still had a hard time getting targets. That's true. Much, uh, at wide receivers, so I think those guys just saw, man, I don't really have an opportunity here. Even though there was there are going to be targets that are going to be on the table, they felt the cold shoulder of Sark because <laughs> Sark, from yeah. what I hear, works with the wide receivers pretty hands on. Too. Well, how do you when when we look about it, it's gonna be an interesting spring, like you said, especially in the secondary in the wide receiver room. Running back look good. They still need to address the the two lines, don't they? It, losing Murphy and Tavondre Sweat is gonna be huge as they go into the SEC. And I personally thought the offensive line was uh, uh, disappointing uh, that they weren't better. So where do you think they stack up in the lines going into the SEC, Rod? Um, the old line, I think, should be a strength, right? You return four of the five starters. That should, uh, that along with quarterback. I don't know if there's any position other than, uh, you know, behind quarterback, uh, of course, because Quinn is a third year starter. Um, but I don't know if there's any other position other than old line and, and QB that I could project and I am confident should be a strength because of the experience you return, because of the really high upside of talent. At those positions, the you know pancake factory, the big humans, going into the SEC, it'll be a higher level of competition. You won't be the biggest offensive line uh, in the SEC like you were in the Big Twelve, but man, that group has a ton. You only lose Christian Jones off that offensive line, but you could potentially replace him with talent that has higher upside, uh, oh, yeah. just an unproven commodity. I, I love what the O line right now has built. I like Kyle Flood as an O line coach. If they're not a strength and a finalist for the Joe Moore Award, I would be disappointed next season. I would. Um, I think they got that kind of uh, high-end upside. D-line, 
Listen, let's be honest, man. You're not going to replace Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. You got two cycles of of drafted, because Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat will be drafted, of drafted interior D linemen, D tackles between Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Moro Ojimo, Kendra Coburn. And he'll throw Alfred Collins in there because he's probably going to get drafted too whenever he declares. He's coming back, though, for you. And that's a good, that's a good sign. But you were rotating four to five NFL. Mm-hmm. NFL D tackles in the last two years right, because yeah. even last last year it was Sweat Murphy Ojimo and Coburn. This year it was Sweat Murphy Collins and Broughton, and I think Broughton has a shot too. And I, so I like your two frontline guys, but are the two guys behind them also NFL caliber D tackles? I don't know. Um, um, that's that's a, and Bo Davis is a hell of a coach. So I do have a little concern about that. I like the edges, Ethan Burke. Uh, you know, you'll bring in Colin Simmons, Baron Sorrell coming back. Um, you know, you got Colton Vasek. I mean, they they got some guys that should provide depth, and they should be pretty capable and competent on on the edges for you. Mm-hmm. I do I do worry. Do you have the depth in the interior D line that you've grown accustomed to? That luxury of having that the the best, honestly, the deepest D tackle room in the country. Um, I don't know if you'll have that next season yeah. going into the SEC. So, Rod, you think a a ten win season, if that doesn't happen, is that is that going to be a criticism of Sark because there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot and uh, this next roster is going to be a lot different than the one we just watched. Uh, yeah, I mean it's Texas. I mean, so now the expectations are pretty high. All the way to early preseason polls have Texas as a Top five team, you know, I think maybe a few have them at six or seven, maybe a couple, but most of uh, that way too early preseason polls uh, uh, have Texas as a top three team. And I think Longhorn fans are going to be excited about that. They should be. And the most important piece is quarterback. And they have the most important piece. And you look at the Heisman odds, uh, I believe pre- preseason Heisman odds have pointed as one of the front runners for the Heisman as well for next season. If he's in that conversation, or at least a finalist for the Heisman, Texas should be a team that wins, you know, 10 games. So I I understand the expectation. And, yeah, if Sark only wins nine games, Lowen fans will be upset about it. I can tell you that right now. Even though that can be unrealistic expectations, they'll be upset about it because there'll be a loss on there that they did not anticipate. The only losses that Lowen fans, I think, will accept next year are – Maybe Michigan, but if Jim Harbaugh's gone, they won't accept that one. Uh, <laughs> they'll accept the Georgia loss. They're like, Georgia's a good football program. And that's it. But other right. than that, Lowland fans not going, no, you can't be losing A&M. Not the first year that it, it <laughs> you, you know, losing Oklahoma. Lowland fans now think Oklahoma's beneath them somehow <laughs> right? because of Brett Venables there. So, yeah, Lowland fans are going to be, they'll be upset about any loss that's not, honestly, to Georgia, maybe Michigan. But as you say, it's a new year. Nothing's guaranteed. Uh, Dennis Dodd, a friend of our podcast, the great writer for CBS Sports, uh, he and I were in Houston for the Michigan-Washington game, and he was asking me, we're doing our poll. Where would you put Texas? And I said, I said, I would say top 10, top 12, you know, Dennis. And he went, wow, I think I got him number three. And and like you said, that's – pretty much universal the expectation that they're going to be a legit top five team and yep. where would you put them rod if you 
you had a poll right now, top 25, where would you rank Texas? Uh, I'd have them a top 10 team uh, for yeah. sure. Probably put them at – I mean, I haven't looked at all the teams and looked at everything coming back. I mean, it probably would be – I'd probably have them right outside the top five. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at you still got them high. I still got pretty. I probably have them right outside the top five, so maybe six or seven, somewhere around there. Because I would, we're looking at the team. You know, we have very intimate knowledge of the team. Most people nationally right. are looking at, oh, Quinn Ewers coming back, and you know, <laughs> right. what we see him. Um, we see him. Yeah, and we know who's yeah. leaving. Yeah, we know who's leaving. Right? Is your day Barron coming back? That'll that'll be big in terms of uh, the past defense and how it looks. They got some holes they still got to fill. There's still some uncertainties and unproven. Uh, uncertain, unproven commodities, but I do think that where it matters, they bring back all their coordinators. Hell, look at Oklahoma. They got to find new coordinators, right? Look at, uh, you know, look at what's going on with A&M, right? They got a whole new coaching staff. You got a lot of continuity with the coaching staff. You right. have the quarterback, the offensive line, the trenches, and you do bring back a lot of starters on the defensive line. So in the trenches, in that quarterback, and with the coaches, hmm. You have consistency, and that's where it matters the most. Yeah, you're right, and that stability's got to mean a lot going forward. I think two of the biggest ones are like Anthony Hill and Colin Simmons, the incoming uh, edge rusher linebacker from Duncanville. I think those would be key as well, as well as that secondary that we have already talked about. So, But it's yep. going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And uh, that was just so fun covering meaningful games, wasn't it, said this year. Amen, yeah, and it's always fun to 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 chop it up with Robbie after it's all over because he gives us that he gives us that insight, man. That keeps it real. He's a big beer belly pop sports writers that <laughs> that were just happy to be on varsity in high school. Hey, I'm working on I'm working on that belly, man. I'm working on it. Trust me. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got you got you got to tell 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 our people about the new addition of the Babers Clan. I mean, we ain't talk, but. Yeah, man, I got a baby girl now. She's doing great. Uh, she's probably a little three and a half months old. So, yeah, man, it's a it's a new challenge, but it's fun, man. She's awesome. She's actually really good. I can't complain. I'm you not sound so old, though. You sound so I old. Am. I am. I'm an old man, dude. Trust me. I feel nothing makes you feel old like having kids. I'll tell you that right now. So I do feel old, but uh, no, it's a blessing, man. She's great. She's healthy. So uh, we're all, we're happy about it. And uh, 20 help, man. She was a good luck charm. Texans made the playoffs. Longhorns went to the college football playoff. Hell, the, the Cowboys are in the playoffs. Hell, man. I, you know, Houston Texans, you your, your hometown, Houston Texans. Yeah, man. They don't happen all the time. They won a division. They won a they damn won division. D'Amico Ryan's wow. What a, what a yeah, year. Baby, yeah, baby girl is a good luck charm, apparently. So that's good stuff. Have some more, have more kids. We want to keep covering playoff games. <laughs> I can't afford them, man. I can't afford more kids, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Man, I hope you get a good night's sleep every now and then now. I do. She sleeps, man. She's a good baby. I'm not going to lie. She's really I, – I, you're lying to you, but she sleeps probably 10 hours at night. Oh, wow. You do have a good one. You sound yeah, like a dad. Man, she takes care of you. Yeah, she's great, man. She really is. But uh, and I, my wife doing the hard work. I'm, I'm a cheerleader. I'm a good. There you go. I'm, I'm, she's the quarterback. I'm the wideout, man. I just. You know, <laughs> we know our roles. Run, I run precise routes. That's Catch awesome, man. <laughs> well, congratulations, my friend, and so glad you were spend some time with us. Share some wisdom, man. You're the best. Hey, thank you guys, man. I appreciate y'all the time. Y'all do great work. So keep it up, fellas. And uh, I know it's a little late, but happy New Year to y'all. 
Same you to too, you, brother. Man. Thanks a lot, Rob B. We'll, we'll check Thank you, Rob. All right. Take care, guys. Welcome. Bye-bye. And Doug, just as Rod B is leaving, man, big news hits the 40 acres. Bo Davis out as the defensive line head coach. He is leaving to take the LSU job. That is a humongous development. And Doug, that is what happens when you have massive success. You lose a lot of good players. And then, and then those assistant coaches, those phones start ringing. Well, He's in high demand, and LSU wasn't the only school that came after him. And, you know, Bo Davis is one of the best defensive line coaches in America. So, And uh, LSU is remaking its whole defense. They just hired Blake uh, Baker from uh, Missouri, where he turned Missouri into a uh, New Year's Six bowl team and beat uh, Ohio State in the uh, – Cotton Bowl held the Buckeyes to three points. So, uh, yeah, this this is a huge setback for Sark. And uh, even though it was no secret that other teams were pursuing Bo, uh, the one wrinkle in this is I think I mentioned on Longhorn Confidential this week is that he wants to coach his son Bo. And uh, Bo was a defensive lineman from southeastern Louisiana. Look out. And I know he was trying to get him into school here, and I don't know all the ramifications of that, but it – it's not as easy to get into Texas as it once was. So uh, I think that had a whole lot to do with this issue. And, you know, let's face it, LSU's Bo Davis's alma mater. He was second-team all-conference nose guard there. He coached there under Nick Saban. So, uh, but, yeah, this is, to me, anyway, he said, I think he's the second most important coach on that staff after Sarkeesian. I think so, too. I think so, too. And – uh you mentioned high demand. Tavondre Sweat went from just a guy yeah. to the first round pick. A Byron Murphy the second might go in the first round. He He's might born early duck. Yeah, people that think that he may go before Sweat. And all the mock suggest that too. Yeah. So when you when you look at what Bo Davis has done, and then the the infamous speech that's credited with with being the signal of the ch culture change at Texas. Uh, he mm -hmm. was a seminal figure in what Sarkeesian has built here. He will be missed. Yeah, hugely missed as a recruiter, as a developer, a defensive lineman. I mean, I mean, he was so well thought of. I think salary, I think he was making a million dollars here at Texas and even had a buyout. So LSU had to pay top money for him. And uh, like I said, LSU just kind of had an off year, three-loss team, and – uh, had a terrible defense, but they had the Heisman Trophy winner. And <laughs> so, you know, Brian Kelly replaced both coordinators. I think he's got five more spots to fill. So, you know, Sark's got to put the old transfer portal recruiting on hold to, to fill this void. And by golly, it's a big one. Not the only thing going on on campus. Dylan DeSue, Doug, what happened? He showed up in with Gangbuster written on his – his jersey, 33 points in that big win at Cincinnati and Duck, they needed it because you can't start 0-2 in maybe the best league in college basketball. And they needed all 33 points. Um, and he, I watched the whole game. He played like 34 minutes, and he'd been averaging about 20, 22, somewhere in that range. So, And he was playing at the five, but – playing a lot on the perimeter with uh, Shedrick out with the uh, back, back spasms. So, and 
boy, they needed him. I didn't see that much out of Dylan Mitchell, but, you know, since Dylan DeSouche come back, uh, he's kind of stole a little bit of his thunder. But, uh, you know, I was looking at uh, Jay Billis's, uh top 68 teams if the tournament started today. Saw some of that. Yeah. Did you see where he had Texas? No. Take a guess. Where do they rank? They're ranked 25th, I guess. They're ranked 25th, so I think maybe had him. He, he's always liked Texas, I thought. Um, I'm going to say 13th. No, he had him 42nd. Whoa, 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 JB. What? 42nd. A friend of the podcast, Jay Villas. They were like the sixth best Big 12 team, you know. I don't and, agree with that in – well, I, that's, we I thought that know. was too low, too. But, you know, I was watching a lot of that Houston-Iowa State game uh, last night, too, where Iowa State knocked them off out of the unbeatens, the last unbeaten since Most glory, 57-53. Last Iowa State basketball, you play them over at that Hilton, and, man, they just suffocate you there. And uh, Houston has a hellacious defense, too, probably the best defense in the country but you know they're really good and you know baiters in there kansas obviously hunter dickinson dickerson has just been tearing it up for kansas so but you know you had baylor you had tcu's 11 and 3 and cincinnati looked damn good so tcu tcu should have won in kansas the refs yeah. took the game from them at the end yeah. i watched the game Lost by what was it, two points? And yeah, but uh, they called a flagrant foul on a basketball play. And I'm like, man, quit being afraid of Bill Self and just call the freaking game. Yes, more that call. Was a, that was a respect call for Bill Self. That was mm. an inadvertent elbow. Inadvertent, sure. not flagrant. Flagrant is when you look and go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this elbow in your grill. He was getting a rebound, Duck. That was mm. a four-point turnaround. And you yeah. went from Leading by two to being down by two. Mm -hmm. See, that yeah. kind of thing. Man, I hate when the refs get involved at the end of games like that. You know, Oklahoma's playing well, too. Really deep team. And they play Kansas, I think, Saturday. So, But you're right. It's it's the best league in the country by far. It's just so much fun to watch. You can lose any night. And I don't know. It wouldn't be surprised me if – I don't know how many games they play now that we've added – you know, up to 14 teams. But I can see the the winner having four losses. Oh, of course. Something like that. Of, Maybe. A lot of teams, a lot of games. I can see that. Yeah, it really is. So, uh, and it was good to Texas right. even even their thing up at one and one and they're at they're at West Virginia on Saturday. Right. So um yeah they're 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 in pretty good shape. But you gotta you gotta hold serve at the house. So losing at the mood is never never mm -hmm. good. And so they're yeah. uh they righted that ship. Um, interested to see if Dylan DeSue is all the way back because if that's any indication, he's going to be an All-American because he looked great. He really did. It, I guess it was at least four threes. He's got a great stroke from NBA range and, you know, has the floaters and the mid-range and he can take people off the dribble. And uh, he's a shot blocker. He's a run protector. He is. He's, he's got it all when he's healthy. And, you know, he missed, I guess, what he missed, nine games because of mm -hmm. his foot surgery. And so he's had a couple surgeries. So, but it's fun to watch. And he looked like uh, March Madness, Dylan DeSue, which is what they got to have because their defense hasn't been near the level it's been, you know, the last year or two. Doug, before we get out of here, I'm sorry. I got I got to bring it up. I, I know our bosses don't really want us, don't even care about the NFL anymore. We still mm -hmm. care, even though we don't get to cover yeah. it. But the Texas, the Dallas Cowboys in Houston, Texas, both won their divisions. 
and are hosting playoff games this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen? Start with the Cowboys who play play host to the Green Bay Packers and then the, the Texans who host the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Dallas-Green Bay, great rivalry. You can go back to the Ice Bowl and the Des Bryant controversy and all the Brett Favre meetings. And uh, they, they better not sleep on Green Bay. Jordan Love's got, I think, 32 touchdown passes this year. And Dak, what, like 36, has been on fire, legitimate MVP candidate. And, and Dallas, it's hard to beat at home. And so I really like Dallas' chances going a long way. And, you know, they'll probably end up having to go to San Francisco. Ah, <laughs> There we go. They want to get to the big game, but uh, and I think uh, San Francisco is the better team. But I think Dallas wins uh, this weekend. I think, ah, boy, Cleveland's tough. And I think Cleveland's going to go in there and beat Houston Duck. I, I kind of think they might because Kevin Stefanski's done a great job. Joe Flacco. He ain't Mr. scared. He's a Super Bowl. Off the he he's old, but he ain't scared. Yeah, exactly. Huh. He's not, and they got they got some pretty good weapons. I think in Joku, I don't know if he'll be back, the great tight end, but right. but, they're, but they're sneaky good on offense, and they're really really good on defense. Mm-hmm. Miles Garrett's the best player in the NFL. I he mean, is. I don't want to talk about it, but he is. He yeah, just he is. is. He plays in Cleveland, so you don't get to see him every week. Miles mm-hmm. Garrett is is just on. He's on a heater. He's on yeah. a heater right now, and I think yeah. I think he might make life a little difficult for uh, Laramie Tunstall and company on that Houston offensive line. Well, as good as C.J. Stroud is, he's probably rookie of the year, right? I mean, Either him I or Puka Nakua, Nakua, one of those two. I got to give it to Stroud just for where Houston's coming from. You I know? do, too. I do, and, too. So I think he would. And, you know, losing Tank Dell, as you as you know, my fantasy receiver, really hurt that offense because they were really rolling with him and Nico Collins. And Collins is kind of blowing up lately, but – you know, Noah Brown's been hurt. Robert Woods has been hurt. They don't have a dynamic running game. No, Singletary and Pierce are, are serviceable, but not great. They're kind of pedestrians. So I'm like you. I, I think Cleveland might get them at the end, but I think it's a fourth quarter game, and Stroud will keep them in it, and hopefully the crowd will. But uh, good to see our Texas teams in the playoffs. So, you know, what do you, you have in the Super Bowl before we get out of here? Oh, I think the 49ers are clearly the best team. You know, I really do. And uh, I could see San Francisco, Baltimore have a little rematch, you know, from a couple weeks ago. So I think they're clearly the best two teams. Me too. And I got 49ers winning it all. Me too. We're, I'm, we're, 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 we're uh, aligned as usual, and we're probably both wrong. And yeah, probably. That's fine too. That's fine too. Makes Don't blame us for going chalk, but those teams have been that good. I think the Ravens are scary. But the, the team that, that I look for to make some real noise, Doug, mm-hmm. that could upset that Baltimore. Don't uh, say it. Don't Apple say Park. it. Don't say it. Buffalo Bills. Okay, yeah. The Buffalo Bills. No, no, not the Dolphins. They're no, soft. I thought you were going to say Kansas City. No, they're not very good. They, they've been off. Yeah, they're they, awful. Been... They don't have any receivers. And I think that Patrick Mahomes should go renegotiate his contract because I thought he, he signed that family-friendly discount on the on the surmising that they were going to take care of Tyreek Hill, and they did. They took care of Kelsey, and Chris mm-hmm. Jones had to hold out to get his money, but they are very defi- they're deficient at at receiver. 
they don't have a scary guy in the bus. No. The Rice kid is going to be good, but he's yeah. he's a year or two away. Um, if he blows up in the playoffs, they got a chance. But right now, I think it's the Ravens and the but the Bills have the Bills yeah. have all the reason to be to to think they have a chance, even though they are um, even though they're not going to be um, seated as high. Uh, you know, I think they're the third best team. I think Buffalo's the third. I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, and uh, I'll make a crazy prediction right now. Kansas City Chiefs select in the draft either A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, or one of the two LSU uh, receivers, uh, Malik Neighbors or Brian Thomas. I think one of those. Brian Thomas of the four, Brian Thomas or A.D. Mitchell, or of those four, they might be the ones that are. Available when the Chiefs pick. Yeah, because Rome, that's a huge need for them. And yeah, how many times you got to watch uh, Marquis Valdez Scanling or or Kadarius mm-hmm. Tony drop a pass or line up offsides or just not be up to yeah. the job? And they kind I, of went the New England Patriots, you know, approach like, ah, we just get receivers. Will, will Mahomes our way to a Super Bowl? It worked last year, but that's not that's not sustainable. No, they have not been themselves, obviously. So, uh, who knows? There'll be some surprises. So, uh, anyways, our, uh, is this our first podcast of the year? Or did we have one last week? We did. Did we, did we, did we, we potted last week? We had Pat 40 last week. That was before the game, though. The game was on January 1st. This right. was our first podcast. Well, happy yeah. New Year! We you. did some Longhorn Confidential with Daniel Davis, who's doing doing a spectacular job. But yeah, this is our this is our first pod of the year on Second Thought, and it won't be our last. Now we are taking off next week. I'm taking a little respite. I got to recover from the New Orleans nightlife and um, the disappointment that was the loss to Washington. But we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, with with more, hopefully some uh, news will, some Quinn Ewers news will have broken by then, and we can break that down, um, how that affects Texas. We expect him to be back, but he hasn't said it yet. So uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Big thanks to Rob Babers for joining us for the Duck Kirk Bowls. I'm Seth Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.